This episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday, the Next Generation Edition, is sponsored by both Spy Boy and James Satter. Spy Boy writes, Hi guys, I would like to sponsor the next Star Trek Monthly Monday episode. I don't have an opening message. Message? But I would like to be read in the show opener. But uh, if you refer to me, can you please call me, uh, or please use my forum handle, Spy Boy. Well, absolutely we can, Spy Boy. And the other sponsor was James Satter, who had absolutely no message whatsoever. So thank you guys for sponsoring this forthcoming episode he's like that he's like the, the clint eastwood of contributors to the show just like no words just hands over yep. the money That's how it. badass is that just who the hell are you he's james t cook don't you read history What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Did we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands! Battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. No! Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 35, the Next Generation Edition. I am Scott Gardner and I am joined as always by Chris Honeywell, my bestest pal. Hi! Hi! <laughs> Hi! Hi! So, Hello. I am... <laughs> I am really, really, really looking forward to this one because not only do do I uh, really like this episode a whole lot, but this is the end of an era, folks. This is the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation for the first season of that show. So we are going to uh, delve into that, talk about that episode, and then we're going to have a uh, just a fun little look back at the first season and kind of just... Kind of just summarize our thoughts on uh, on that entire first season. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. So, uh, what do you think? You want to just dive right into this one? Did you have anything next generation-y to bring to this one at all? Not really. Not outside of of uh, 
of this episode. I don't think I've ever seen this episode before. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to be very curious to see uh, what, what you thought of it then. On the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Commander, look at this. The crew discovers frozen survivors from the 20th century. What's going to happen to us? In the middle of a perilous mission to confront arch enemies. You think that we attacked your outposts? Could this feared encounter spark an explosive battle? I recommend we go immediately to battle stations. Find out on Star Trek The Next Generation. All right, I'll uh, I'll run down the uh, the the facts and figures and the brief synopsis, and then uh, we can just dive into our notes. So this one is uh, episode twenty six for the first season, the last episode, uh, called the Neutral Zone. It aired the week of May sixteenth, nineteen eighty eight, and the synopsis from the Star Trek: The Next Generation companion reads as follows as the enterprise awaits picard's return from a special briefing data cannot resist investigating a 300 year old capsule that floats by three humans are found frozen inside the capsule they are they are the only survivors of the fad of cryogenic preservation for the terminally ill but the last thing picard needs is a sideshow of relics his return uh, brings news of disappearing outposts and the suspicion that at long last the Romulans are returning to activity along the neutral zone. The revived humans have their own problems. A broker demands access to his money, a homemaker misses her kids, and a bored country uh, singer wants to party. Picard relies on Troy and Data to help solve their problems while he deals with another challenge, a cloaked Romulan ship. The UFP's, uh, that's United Federation of Planets, first contact with its old foes in 53 years, a tense exchange yields the information that outposts are disappearing on the Romulan side of the neutral zone as well. The two sides agree to exchange information in the future, but the Romulans leave no doubt. They mean to be reckoned with again. With tensions eased somewhat, the Enterprise heads back, arranging a long ferry ride to Earth so its new passengers will have enough time to get used to their new home century. And, you know... For a change, that's actually not it's a not a bad synopsis. Pretty that's dead actually, accurate. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a little dry, but it's pretty pretty accurate. So, uh, wow, I can't believe you've never seen this one before. I am very curious, sir. What did you think of the neutral zone? Well, my only memory of this was years and years ago, probably on one of our like six-hour phone conversations that we would have once a year. You talking about this episode and saying it was the one where the Romulans were like, we're back and we're bad, and then they disappear. And then they pretty much sort of disappear from the show for a long time, don't they? <laughs> really? They don't really, like, show up for... The, 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 it, this doesn't really, like, evolve into anything, really, if I recall. It, it does, but strangely, it evolves into something that's kind of wimpy. Yeah. That's that's the weird part about it because the whole thing with uh, with the outpost disappearing along the neutral zone. Um, that's like I the have... Ferengi, isn't it? Isn't this like the seeds of the Ferengi being the badasses to reckon with or something? The Borg. The Borg, really? Borg, yeah, because the Ferengi proved to be such a big disappointment to all the fans after all the buildup they had, you know, for the Ferengi. <laughs> 
that you know the the creators were basically scrambling going you know these Ferengi kind of suck <laughs> yeah so we got to come up with a new threat we got to come up with a new big baddie and everything I've read about the behind the scenes stuff with this episode seems to be that it was it was kind of thrown together almost last minute and so it had a lot of re rewrites and revisions and different things going on with it and one of the elements was going to be um, with the Borg and everything and then a lot of those elements ended up kind of being left by the wayside but strangely the whole thing with you know the the outpost being destroyed and technology scooped off the face of the planets and stuff that was left in although it would still be quite a while before we actually got to the Borg themselves right. so this both leads to the Borg and also has a strange disconnect from the Borg because it never does explain why you know because when we finally do encounter the Borg it's through basically an accident you know Q throws the Enterprise like halfway across the universe or something you know so it's like zillions of light years away from this so what the hell were the Borg doing in Romulan space we never do get a, a, an answer to that to the best of my knowledge that's never explained so it's kind of like I say it leads to it but it also is pretty disconnected to it at the same time so it's kind of weird well, if, anyway, I did not if, mean to interrupt your notes. At first, I was getting a spacey vibe from it, you mm -hmm. know, with the with the frozen people in it, and uh, it really moves along. This one moves along, mm -hmm. um, and keeps throwing plot elements in it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good wrapper upper for, uh, especially after the uh, intensity of conspiracy. To have one that has some action in it, it's got the, you know, the Romulans coming back. There's some buildup of how, you know, badass the the Romulans are, especially he, he actually gives Troy a real concrete assignment by telling her to research the Borg and give him a report. It's like, oh, finally, she's useful twice in here. She actually functions <laughs> as ship's counselor with the three people they thought out, you know. Um, but, uh... Yeah, I thought it was a, a good combination of the, the intellectual, like, premise Star Trek of the what would happen if three, you know, late, late, late 20th century people were thought out, you know, in the Star Trek universe. And, you know, we'll have a just a regular mom, a prick and a drunk country singer walk <laughs> into the bar and in uh, a rabbi. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, like the when when Picard goes down there, and you know, he's 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 bitching at uh, the Martin Landau looking, uh, you know, <laughs> crusty bitchy businessman guy, and uh, you know, the woman starts crying, and he's just like, "Get Counselor Troy down here." It's like, <laughs> yes, finally, you know, you know, now here we go, you cry on her shoulders, <laughs> and then he leaves. It's like that was a very Captain moment of. Of um. Of of uh, Picard instead of state, you know, he's just like Jesus Christ. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> no, that's his attitude too. You can you can actually read that in his body language. Yeah, yeah. So he's getting kind of disgusted. Yeah, and that guy is just such a typical yuppie prick. You know, it's like let's put a yuppie on there. But I love the drunken musician. He's Roger Miller. He's basically Roger Miller. Mm -hmm. He's drunk and happy. He's got that down homey talk. He's kind of charming, hitting on the hitting on Beverly Crusher. Doesn't he actually? He does slap her ass and 
He pats her on the pats ass. Her yeah, on the he ass. sure does. And uh, and he's just he's just a riot in this. And uh, the only thing that I didn't like about this is it had a little more of the condescending, that that twenty third century it condescending had a whole shit lot with of it actually, with yeah. them just going. So this is the this is a example of twentieth century people. What pieces of shit they are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help that the guy was so stupid that he's like, like, I've got to talk to my lawyers and blah, 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 and he wasn't getting it that it's like, no, dude, actually your lawyers are long gone and money's long gone. So I don't know what you're talking about for your bank account, you know. It's weird in that instance, because up to a point, I had the same thought like the first time I saw this, that what is wrong with this guy? Does he not realize the enormous amount of time that must have gone by? But Picard actually says that to him at one point when the guy demands to see his lawyer and he says, look, your lawyer's been dead for centuries. Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. like, yes, of course, I realize that. And he explains that he wasn't talking about like the actual guy. He was talking about the you know, concept. Of, yeah. yeah, the concept. And I liked that, that he explained himself. But also, I really like that character as, you know, as prickly as he is. And he's very unlikable at the same rate. One of the reasons I really like this episode is to a certain degree, all three of those characters, when you throw them all together, mm -hmm. they represent us, right, the viewer. Right. And there's a great moment in this episode where Picard is and Riker are having their little standoff with the two Romulans, you know, presumably the captain and the and the first officer of that ship. And they're kind of just staring each other down. And it's Mr. Offenhouse that speaks up and goes, look, dumbass, they don't know. They're asking you. And he's the because that how many times have we said that that happens when we watch television, that the the character that we follow and that we're, we're supposed to be uh, identifying with is like freaking clueless. Like, right. no, don't walk down in that dark cellar. That's where the maniac is, mm -hmm. you know. And that's why I like this particular episode, because you've actually got the people in the episode doing that for us in that, at least in that one scene. And I really like that well, scene. Yeah. And I, I, well, I, I like I, I, I like how you put it, that they're that they're basically like different aspects of us, because, yeah, that guy is that guy's the the control aspect of and, and you know, he doesn't get the idea that, OK, so you know where all your money is? It's in a museum somewhere, and and you can right. have it trucked to your house. But what are you gonna do with it? Because you don't need it to buy anything, you know. But basically, at the end, Picard, it it was a very a very nice line where Picard is like, he's like, but where's the challenge, you know? And Picard's like, yeah, right. it's it's in perfecting yourself, or it's in learning things and expanding yourself, and you can see the guy, you can see his brain going. That was, you know never an option for him you know to and and kirk or, or kirk and uh picard just looks at him and goes enjoy it you know not and 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 you could see that this guy might finally get to relax for once in his life because he's not gonna have to worry about what is gonna happen to me tomorrow or whatever he's going to be able to you know but at the same time what was awesome was when he got onto the bridge i was like oh jesus this guy's gonna get on the bridge and open his big mouth and fuck everything up but at the same time he opened his big mouth and he was absolutely right he's just like they don't know what they're you yep. know he was like finally in his element of hard bargaining you know it was probably like a boardroom meeting with him you know he's just like they're I, bluffing 
Yeah, I have an I have a a good follow up to that that uh, uh, concerning that character, but uh, we'll we'll come back to that. It's it's funny, and, and at the end at the end of the uh, whole thing, basically, um, Picard just generally says, "Well, fuck the past." <laughs> <laughs> right. That's oh, enough of that, these assholes. The, Forward to the yeah, future. Fuck the past. Uh, yeah. What about the past, Picard? Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's exactly what would spring to my mind when at the end of this. What I love about this is uh, my final note is is that the musician guy, the drunken musician, he don't care. He's just like, I don't care. There's women here, right? Right? All right. Future's okay. They make a mean martini in the future, and nobody knows my songs. There's still titties and there's still booze. And I got me a guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically it. And and what I loved about him, and this is a dynamic that runs through this whole next generation and the old Star Trek with say Spock and is um, you, you, the the more human the characters are, the more those characters are attracted to the non-human characters. Right. So this guy's super super hu- and and vice versa. So he and Data. Like totally hit it off. That's why Data and, and um, Number One seem to be such good friends because right. Number One's the most just sort of like earthy of of Every all of guy. them. Yeah. And um, in this case, this musician guy was just like, hey, he wanted Data to join his band, and Data was ready to ready to do it. You know, Data was like, that would be a f- that's a fascinating possibility, and 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 because both of them were like open-minded you know they were both open-minded to and curious about the other person and and the and and you know he didn't have anything i thought there was going to be some sort of stupid subplot of him because like killing his destroying his liver again (laughs) you know (laughs) and and they're like you don't need any alcohol and he's just like i know i don't need any alcohol but you know give me some alcohol and i thought that was going (laughs) to go into some serious territory but it didn't and i'm glad it didn't i'm glad there wasn't any you know serious comment on drinking or addiction in this episode i just want the happy drunk musician that and that was that was perfect and to cap it all off they were so very kind as to never have the guy play the guitar and sing a song which is where they went wrong in the original star trek Yeah. Uh, they totally should have had a jam session. Although this guy, you know. if he was anything like Roger Miller, I did, I did want to see him do ch- uh, chug a lug or something. Come on, chug a lug. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> chug a lug with, with Data on the, and the Android harp or something. He opens up a Blowing. chest plate and pulls out a harp that's still attached to like his inner wiring or something. Blow that on a jug awesome. or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like Worf. <laughs> Warp on the jug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that needs to happen. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh, man. What else you got on this one? Now I'm just trying to figure out how to put, like, Romulan ale and sorry and brandy into the lyrics of Chugalug. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Space Roger Miller. There you go. <laughs> well, let's Space see. Roger got... Miller and fuck the past. That's what you get out of this one. 
I have got a ton of notes on that. Do you, did you have any more notes on this one? Nope, that was about it. That was pretty all much right. my uh, everything I jotted down. It's not all I have to say about it, I'm sure. Well, feel free to jump in on any of these because okay. I just kind of I just kind of made a, a long list as I was watching it because I've I've literally seen this one so many times I could probably just about quote it to you so I was really much more focused on notes this time rather than getting sucked into the episode mm-hmm. although this one really sucks me and I like this episode a whole lot uh, right off the bat no Wesley Crusher That's none a plus yep. Um, you are absolutely right. You nailed it. That uh, both uh, Picard and Riker are. Um, what I put here was that they seem off, awfully dismissive of the of the, you know, the whatever you want to call them, time refugees or whatever. But they're not just dismissive. I mean, they're downright. They're, they're borderline cruel in a couple instances. Yeah. They're like, ah, fuck them. They were dead. You know, you should have just left them there. And it's like, no, dude. I mean, yeah. Any other episode, aren't they always the ones that are saying, we have a moral responsibility, blah, 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 Well, here's blah. the thing. They like, were dead, but that... now they're alive. So now they're right. not dead. They were, Yeah, exactly. they, they were dead, but now they're living and breathing on your ship, you know? And usually they're the ones who are just like, you know, they're, they're living humans, you know, aren't mm-hmm. they? There's, you know, I you would think, actually, they would have been, like, really... I don't know if I if I was in that position, I would be like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, you want to see some cool space shit? You know, come on, <laughs> come on, it's the holodeck. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it's about I on the can't way there." Believe that the holodeck wasn't mm-hmm. brought into this, especially in the part where Data goes to see Sonny and he's like, "Look, man, you don't have any TV. I can't get laid. What the hell is there to do the around?" First thing I thought was holodeck, and Sonny's yeah. looking. Sonny's looking for some ladies too, so the holodeck would be just like. Yeah, Sonny's mm-hmm. Wonderland. He could go to a bar full of naked ladies. There you go. And you know that Data would be telling him what the holodeck is, and he'd be like, so you're saying I could go to a bar full of naked ladies if I wanted to? Yes, you could. You I could mean, go to the top of Mount Everest. Would there be naked ladies there in a bar? <laughs> I mean, there there really needed to be a, a brief little scene of like this long line formed outside one of the holodecks and like, Somebody like Riker Picard walks by and is like, you know, report what's going on. And it's like, Jesus Christ, we've been locked out of this thing for like three <laughs> weeks now. What the hell? You know, who is in there? As you know, Sonny be in there having like just the, the wickedest orgy you'd ever seen. Yeah, in but on the set of like Hee Haw or something like that. <laughs> Remember when you went out hunting for possum, you said you'd get one and wouldn't be long. That's ten years ago, and I'm sitting here to wait and beginning to wonder if something went wrong. <laughs> where, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over, and I thought I'd found true love. You met another, and you was gone. Um... Big old note here, Romulans. It's yes. very cool that the Romulans were brought back. And uh, and they actually look I, like I, Romulans. They do. They got their and haircuts and everything. Take, I think it takes a little while before, you know, they, they really come up to speed, but they do end up playing a pretty big role in uh, in Next Gen, so that was, a, that was pretty cool. And it adds a little bit more to uh, Worf's backstory, and we get a lot of information about them at all, although not everything that is laid out here perfectly meshes up mm-hmm. with things that that come along later you know when the 
with the whole timeline and all that, but it's still pretty cool. You know what I just thought about for the holodeck would have been really neat is when um when um they go they go and they look up the woman's descendants, you know, to to mm-hmm. find out if she has any living descendants. That would have been really neat if 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 um Troy took her to the holodeck to do that. And right. you know they stood there, and and you know a depiction of all the people, of her family tree, was you know in front of her until she was looking at you know her great 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 grandson who looks like her husband. That would have been that could have been a really neat, touching scene. Yeah, that that would have actually been really cool. Not that that I scene wasn't they didn't... bad. It's probably, well, it's cheaper to have her looking onto a laptop and doing it. You know. <laughs> it's what's funny about that is she's like you think you can find him and I'm like thinking to myself it's the internet <laughs> of course you can find him you can find anybody there was a moment here that uh, that set Troy up for some you know for, for a major fail but actually I, I agree with you uh, about her in this episode but I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute but there's a great line of dialogue here where Picard says something to the effect, you know, they're in the briefing room scene, you know, the first briefing room scene when he first comes back on the ship and he calls his little meeting and uh, the stars are streaking by outside and all that. And he turns to Troy as one of the last people he talks to. And he says something to the effect, basically, I'm going to need you to draw me up like a dossier on Mm -hmm. these Romulan dudes. Mm -hmm. And she says the line is, well, there's a limited amount of information available, but but I'll come up with something. Translation is, I don't fucking know. I'll, I'll wing something. I mean, that's basically what she's saying. And then when I when I heard her deliver the line, I just started laughing. What I she was, was like, saying was, I'm going to bring you the Wikipedia entry for, <laughs> right. for Romulans. That's about <laughs> as good as it's going to get because there ain't much more, you know. That's, that's what I got because basically it gave her a chance to tell people who hadn't seen the original Star Trek who the Romulans were, you know. Right. And to exactly. portray them as being arrogant badasses. And the, it, uh... it worked. But, yeah, that's uh, – hey, I'd rather have her in the <laughs> library studying Romulans than kicking around up on the bridge, you know what I'm saying? Than Blatton. Yes. <laughs> There's a... You know, that that scene where they first revive, where you know, when Crusher first revives the the refugees, that scene, that entire scene is so just condescending, and they have this. I mean, it, it's once again this twenty fourth century snobbery is just in full force in that scene, and they're making all kinds of snide comments and really looking down their nose at, you know, these these primitives and everything. Yeah. And Dr. Crusher, she's talking about Sonny, and there was a part where uh, she's talking about, you know, the massive chemical abuse in his system and all this stuff, and she said something to the effect of, uh, you know, people fear dying so much and everything. And the way she delivers the line makes it seem like, oh, you know, well, we're beyond this yeah. in our time and everything. Well, you know... What is what was it? Skin of Evil was only like what, like three or four episodes before this one, and there was that part where uh, Armas was controlling Data and had him holding a phaser at Crusher, and she admitted that she was scared to die. Mm-hmm. So it's like what we forgot about that well, already. We had that we had that sub that story about the guy who was taking the drugs to make him younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Ex- exactly. They 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 talk a good game about being, <laughs> you know. But they don't, you know, when as it plays out, you know, they've got all the foibles of, and they almost have to. I think that a lot of that was the push and pull between Roddenberry's idealized humans and the the desire to have stories with conflict mm-hmm. in them you know so you exactly, had yeah. you had to sneak some foibles in there or otherwise you wouldn't have anything go wrong you know so unless it's mechanical error or something you know so right, you, right. You, you need you need those you need those foibles and you know i mean come on even so you know 300 years from now humans there's just no way they're going to be perfected <laughs> if they're even around. <laughs> <laughs> I like Data's line uh, when he's going over the bios of the of the refugees, and uh, he gets to Claire, and he says homemaker, and he goes, mm, "Must be some sort of construction work." I've yeah. always just liked that line. It's you know, it's showing Data's naivete, but it's 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 one of the his, times it really naivete works well, and also just like the fact that. That's not, you know, that's not e- thought about in the that that time is who's who's right. who's taking care of the home. It's probably the whole family's there taking care of the home, you know, and sometimes the robots, it, robots or, you know, or sometimes it's still still I don't care. Data's a computer. You'd think Homemaker would be in some sort of database that he could act. <laughs> you know, I mean, like when um when um the when uh, Roger Miller said something about all that hooey and Data's like hooey <laughs> and the guy yeah, doesn't he... explain hooey Data figures out what hooey is it goes oh you mean right. like you know because he he, was, he was probably looking it up in something and, and it came up with well, all the I think the... he took he took Homemaker as a literal interpretation mm-hmm. you know as somebody who builds homes so that's what I thought it was funny but yeah you're right you know you, you would think that it might be in some sort of database type of thing but so to speak <laughs> Now, I like Riker. He Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite characters. And one of the reasons I really like him, he has got a great way when he's walking away from somebody who's just pissed him off of kind of doing this thing where he kind of hunches his head and shakes his head just a little bit. And you can imagine he's just going, asshole. But he doesn't actually say it. He says asshole with everything but Mm -hmm. his with his lips. It's great. And there's a scene in this one where he totally does that, where Picard storms back onto the bridge. And in a lot of the in a lot of this episode, Picard to me has regressed a little bit back into grouchy old bastard Picard. Uh-huh. He, he's kind of taken some major steps back in the very beginning of this episode. So he storms onto the bridge after he's just had to deal with the refugees, and he plops his ass down in the captain's chair, and he's all scowly and shit, and he starts barking at Riker. And so Riker gets up, and you can see it just the way he stands up. He, he has this whole, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he gets about halfway in front of Picard, and Picard calls him. He's in number one. And, and Riker, like, you know, hesitates. And he goes, keep them out of my way or something. And Riker has this whole demeanor that's just like, what an asshole. Yeah. And it's great. I love it when he does shit like you that because he does it way, a lot. I'll break you in two. <laughs> well, it seems like whenever Picard gets something on his mind, he becomes a total prick. 
And that's what mm-hmm. happened on this. He's off, at the beginning. He's off getting. You know, they're telling him you're going on this mission to, to do this. So then he gets back and he's you know he's got to call a meeting and tell him what's going on and, and think about everything. And he just gets so self serious and you know, it it and yeah yeah just turns in, into a prick about it. I mean, the thing the thing about, and and. There was a bit of story stretching here where, you know, yuppie guy, I would have just, I would have just put, you know, whatever happened. Remember in the old Enterprise, they would give these guys quarters, and if they were pricks, they would just confine them to quarters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, turn his, turn the fucking comm link off on his, on his wall and I... confine, confine him to quarters. Problem solved. None of this, like... In yep. the future, you gotta calm down. It's like, no, lock him up for a couple hours. You know, yeah. Just tell him, I, you know, I hey man, that. you've been frozen for you've been frozen for three hundred years. Shut the fuck up. Cool down. Here, you know, <laughs> sit down. Look out. Look out the window at the stars for a little while. And once we're done dealing with our shit, we'll come back and we'll hold your hand into the twenty third century all you want. But for now, you know, this is your room. Don't, it's bigger than the cooling tank you were hiding in. Well, that's definitely one of my notes in this is, uh, you know, you can kind of forgive the comm link or what do they call it? Com panel sequence because it's the first time it's happened. You know, they're, they're holding these people to their own standard, which, you know, if you follow the, the tenets of the yeah, show, who knows how... they're not able to self-discipline themselves as, as well as, yeah, they're, you know, they're just... arts-trained monkeys, yes. you know, which I have issues with. But then later on, yeah, when, when Offenhouse just gets fed up and decides, all right, goddammit, I'm just going to storm on up to the bridge, he's able to do He just walks right out of the quarters yeah. and walks right up. And my, I, I literally stopped at that moment, and I was like, what? There's no security guards. I mean, they can't spare somebody to just stand outside of their quarters and make sure that they don't just go wander the ship. I mean, I understand that when they have visitors or diplomats or you know just Joe Blow. These you know, are his random ship people. Down and yeah, it, but in this instance, I mean, these people are really, you know, I mean, you potentially. They could be not only a real pain in the ass, yeah. but they could be they could endanger themselves by wandering around this this ship that's yeah that they you know, don't so understand far. exactly. So you would think that they would have you know I mean you don't want to necessarily confine them if they haven't really done anything wrong, but at the very least you know like a security escort or yeah. something. But no, they're just they always. This is one of the things that Next Gen does all the time that makes me nuts is they just let somebody come on the ship, they set them up in quarters, and then they just give them free roam of the ship. It's like, no, God damn it, you wouldn't. I mean, if you or I got invited to the to the aircraft carrier Enterprise, there's no way in hell that they would just We'd have give an us escort everywhere we went. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I doubt you could go to the common areas without an escort. I mean, you're you're a civilian on a military vessel. Yeah. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, they're technically not what, uh, military or whatever, whatever. But you know, all until, they, all yeah, they needed to they are. <laughs> yeah, right. All, all they needed to all Picard needed to do was right off the bat, the second that guy gave him shit about like I paid good money. Blah blah blah. He should have said, "Well, yeah, but guess what? Your company went out of business, and your satellite that you were floating in was about to, you know, spin off into space and be destroyed. 
we're just we were checking it out to see if there were any good antiques on board and just happened to find you dead now you're alive otherwise you would have been dead and blown up in space nobody would have thawed your ass out you know <laughs> shut up you know that's all you had to do was tell him how how it is and how it happened you know they were acting as if you know they were sleeping fine and these guys just came and and right. and w- woke them up as part of their thing it's it's like no they they literally saved their asses from getting pulverized they were that's what Remember, they were like, well, or should we pull it out so it, pull it back so it doesn't get blown up? I'll let nature take its course. You know, it's an right. old satellite, whatever. So, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Starship Enterprise just happened to be cruising by. And, yes, you're in a bad situation right now, but guess what? You're alive in a bad situation instead of <laughs> dead in a bad situation. So you tell me which is better. I wonder if the, if uh, whatever book company it was that was doing the the Star Trek books where it was all like Star Trek writing contest winners, you know, they were publishing mm-hmm. those novels. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're still doing that because I would love to do a short story of the mirror universe <laughs> Enterprise D crew finds these people and the first time they start giving them shit or being a pain in the ass, they just like march them down to the nearest airlock and like here you go. Come on in. Let me show you this room. Yeah, they're, just they're like, eating them for dinner. That there you day. Go. They're like, hmm, 20th century meat's much sweeter than 23rd century meat. <laughs> uh, I love the part. I think it's right after they're, they're thawed out. They're all sitting around in the little like common area lounge, whatever it's supposed to be. And uh, Sonny, the, the country music guy, he goes, what is that? And he's pointing at data and data turns around and is looking all around behind him for like what he's talking about. I just, there's something about that. That really Data's probably used to being referred to as he by that time. He, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like Sonny. Yeah. I, mean, I, he makes this episode yeah. for me because he, he's just, you know, he's just, he's old school. Yeah. The original series, Star Trek. He reminds me of right. characters for, you know, I mean, right down to they play the good. This this episode reminds me a lot of old school when, when the housewife wakes up and faints with Worf. They play doofy music. Exactly. And yeah, that's that's a good point. This one this one really is. It does have a lot of original Trek elements. Now that you mention it, you're right. Yeah, Sonny reminds me. He he could easily be. Linked to somebody like, uh, oh, what was the dude from Trouble with Tribbles there? Cyrano, Cyrano Jones, Jones or something. Yes. Just, you know, down home kind well, of well, guy. Well, he's got I'll... one of those those pudgy, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the, the the character, that beaver character, beaver guy from, the, the beaver guy from uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Remember him? The puppet that looked like a beaver who had the little beaver cheeks. <laughs> I have no idea and what the hell you're talking about. He's got sort of like your Uncle Randy-shaped head and hair, but he's got the big, like, Campbell's Soup Kid, you know, <laughs> cheeks and, you know, kind of buck teeth like a beaver. You know, he's got that bucky beaver um, which look. Which show? Huh? Which show are you talking about? Well, I'm talking Well, I'm talking about Sonny, the guy who played Sonny, but... No, I mean, but what... You, did you say Mr. Rogers? Yes! 
I never made it past him taking off his sweater because he would, that to me was just too creepy. creepy. <laughs> yeah. You never. You, first he takes off the. Yeah, you never made it to the land of make believe, huh? Nope. That's what usually happened just once Mr. the sweater Rogers. and shoes came off. You go to the land of make believe because that's like your special place uh, where you don't know what's really going on. His diction and just the way oh. he talked that creepy condescending voice of his reminded me totally I thought you said his dick his dick no. but I'm like what happened with Mr. Ro what happened with Mr. Rogers and Scott <laughs> There's a reason I didn't watch that show <laughs> Him and Mr. McFeely got a hold of you I guess <laughs> Moving quickly along I like the part where uh Sonny is wanting to see how the Braves are doing on the TV. That cracks me up every time I see it, especially having not on the in, TV uh, on the TV on the TV. Yeah, I like that part. Um, and, and not only I, is it a sports team, but it's a sports team named after a politically incorrect ethnic group <laughs> on top of it. So it's doubly incomprehensible to the Star Trek crew. They're like. Politically incorrect sports team name after Native <laughs> American for mid 18th century. What? He, uh, I had the same note you did about Troy, though, that finally, thank you, Jesus, after 25 episodes, <laughs> this bitch is finally <laughs> useful for something because, uh, her little briefing there to Picard is actually pretty con, pretty useful. You know, like you say, it is. I mean, it's it's largely, as you say, to bring us, the audience, up to on who the Romulans are in case we never watched right. the original show or forgot or whatever. But Picard, actually, at the end of it, he, he smiles at her and he says, thank you, Counselor, that was actually useful or something to that effect. And it was like, hey, you know what? You're right. She actually did something useful other than blat or state the obvious for a change. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, there was good. She was given a task and was concrete to do and then and then taking and ta and as ship's counselor you don't have to be a psychic or whatever to go down there and have people cry out you know she did what right. anybody any counselor would do the woman was mourning the loss of her kids yeah so she you know started taking her down a more a path to connect them to him again you right. know it was it was very what what a counselor should do. You know, she was doing what she was supposed to do, and I think you know maybe it took them till the end of the first season to figure out what to do with this character. Maybe you know, or right. start or start getting a feel for what to do with her. Because at first, I think they wanted her as a religious, or religious as a romantic foil for um, Riker for Riker, and then they were yeah. like, I don't know if we want to go with any kind of romantic tension or anything like that because Gene Roddenberry's like well if they want to screw they should probably just screw you know that's probably what people do in the 23rd <laughs> century you know they probably don't worry about it they just go hey screw tonight yeah I'll screw tonight and then they go to bed and then they go to work the next day and whatever so they were probably like alright we just don't want to you know go there and I'm glad there was a, I don't, I don't want to see a Star Trek where stories are based sort of on you know romantic subplots and stuff like that i want to see space stuff and, and, right. and space romantic subplots are just romantic subplots anyway unless it involves some weird alien life form which when when the stories did get into romantic you know they did do some stuff with Riker 
in Troy, but it was in the good way, like in the old series where every once in a while they would you would see it. You know, it was something it was like um the Nurse Chapel and Mr. Spock thing. Where right. most scenes with Nurse Chapel and Mr. Spock in them, they're just doing their thing. But every once in a while, you'll see her play, tip her cards, and you'll see that she has a big crush on Mr. Spock. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, there's a uh, like, uh, you know, there'll be a story where it'll sort of be a a, a bigger element in it. And and uh, but yeah, and it's so on again, off again though through this yeah. through the entire rest of the series. You know, it's like. One episode, it's it's like you know they're they're total boyfriend girlfriend. They're so close, they're so intimate, and then the, you know for you know twenty episodes, nothing will happen with that, and they're just you know professional colleagues again. And then all of a sudden, it's right. you know, there's another one where they're hanging out, holding hands, and it's like, all right, are, are they or aren't they? What is the deal with this? You know, so I'm I'm glad that you know they finally resolve that. At least in the very last movie, if nothing else, they finally yeah. addressed. Yeah. Um, but that, not really in the first season, just. No. Yeah, th- at this time, it's still left really vague, you know, because they, they dropped all those hints in the in the pilot about uh, them being kind of the, the Decker and Ilea of the series. But then so far they, you know, well, there was that one episode where she was going to get where married. She was going to get married. That, and that's yeah. what I'm talking about. There'll be one where all of a sudden she's getting married and Decker shows up or Decker. <laughs> now you got me. Doing, Riker <laughs> shows up and is like, Hey, what the hell's going on here? You know, right. and it's got a, it, it comes out onto the surface, but that's only once in a while. It isn't like, you know, you don't want it right. to turn into the uh, soap opera, you know, where all of a sudden Star Trek is about everybody's interpersonal relationships on the the ship as opposed to how they deal with external forces, you know. There but should at the be same some rate, of it. You can you can get away with something like that on a show like say Moonlighting or Lois and Clark or something where yeah. there's that danger if you hook the characters up that that whatever the spark of the show is is going to be lost because then there's there's no sexual tension there anymore. With this where you've got an ensemble cast and everything, I mean, was that ever really a danger? It, it to me it becomes more annoying than anything else when you've just got this constant, you know, are they or aren't they thing going on through the whole series. And yeah, there there were some serious times here. I was like, all right, they need to just shit or get off the pot. What is the deal with this? You know, but I don't know. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) This was one of the aspects of their, you know, future, you know the the way they handled future stuff that I couldn't relate to this this thing where they were like quasi boyfriend and girlfriend but not really but sometimes and uh, I, it just made my head hurt. <laughs> now there's a great scene in this. Uh, you talk about you know well well written well directed you know just well acted the whole nine yards where they have their second briefing in Picard's ready room and it's Riker it's mostly between Riker and Picard but Data's there too um I think Worf is there Geordi's there and it's like a mini staff meeting but it's in the ready room and that scene plays excellently there's just something about it it's it's very tightly directed 
there's a lot of exposition, but it flows very naturally. It moves really fast. Uh-huh. It lays out everything in the episode and really sets up the tension and what what exactly is going on without ever feeling, you know, stilted or, or heavy handed or making you sit there, you know, looking at your watch going, come on, come on, get past this. It really flows really well. And uh, I'm always impressed with that scene. And every time I see that, I'm like, yes, this is how to do Star Trek when you've got a lot of exposition to get out of the way, to keep it tight, you know, to, to really focus on the, care, on the actors and let them act and, and work it out themselves. And it's good, especially Riker in that scene is really, really good because he comes off as very natural. And you can feel the the tension of the scene. It's it was really well done. I'm always impressed with that every time I see that. So do you know the part I'm talking about? Yeah, it's uh, it's where they eventually end up getting uh, interrupted over the the comm system by uh, by what's it, Offenhouse. Right, there where he calls up there. It's their second, their first meeting. They were like they had the first meeting. They're like, all right, we'll meet again in six hours. And, right. And it's it's that meeting. Hmm. Um. What else have I got here? Just a couple other random things. I love the the music in this episode is really really good, but I especially like the music that uh, that starts playing when uh, Offenhouse sneaks out of their quarters toward the end of the episode, and he's trying to figure out how to get to where the captain is. And he ends up going up to the bridge, and then the the uh, Romulan warbird decloaks and all that. That music is excellent. Yeah, and a lot of that would end up kind of being sort of recycled and, and become music uh, for the Borg much, much later when uh, this same composer, Ron Jones, would score uh, the the uh, Borg episodes. In particular, he, d- he did uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2, and a lot of this music you can hear in that. So I liked that a lot. It kind of, you know, in a, in a musical sense, it ties it all together, and I really like that. And uh, there was a nice moment, I think it's in the part where Counselor Troy is trying to console the the mother that's missing her kids, and there's some music in that part that reminds me a whole lot of music that Ron Jones would score for um, the Superman animated series Uh that was on in 88. He scored that. And there was a backup feature to every episode called uh, Superman's Family Album. And a lot of it focused on Superman, like, as a kid. And there's a musical cue during this part with Troy and that woman that I swear sounds like it's right out of one of those Superman's family album uh, segments. So I like that a lot, because he scored that, too. So I thought that was really neat. This score seemed to have, if I recall, a nice mix of the symphonic sound and the synthy bits, you mm-hmm. know, every once yeah. in a while, too. Which, the synthy bits sound very kind of 80s you know early 90s but i kind of like it now i think it it, it 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 just fits with the mood of of that show i agree i agree very much yeah i, I well i like it i like ron jones because he he strikes a nice balance between um you know, music that sort of kind of follows the action and and right. sort of enhances what's going on but it's not strictly thematic like we typically think of you know like say like uh john williams or somebody like that i have heard over the years and i have no idea if this is really true or not but i have i've heard 
that the composers on Next Gen were specifically told not to write that sort of music for the show, not to do things with like discernible themes and stuff like that. And I often wondered why. So that's why a lot of I think the... to make it give a different feel for than the movies, maybe, and it probably takes longer and is thus more expensive to do that. Right. Than to do just right. sort of, you know, atmospheric music where you don't have to take the time to sit and rig up the whole orchestra with the screen and the, the sound. And it, eventually that's what you have to do, you know. At first he's got to sit there and score it while watching it and stuff. Whereas here right. you can go more for a mood. You a can mood. be like, yeah, exactly. There's a mood, and then three minutes in. It's there's a stinger because there's an you know a fight or something so you you know about three minutes in to have a bam you know or something like that in there, but there isn't that that timing that comes along with the thematic stuff of where, you know somebody's theme comes up when they enter the screen and stuff like that where you have to time it down and synchronize it. And it's TV, <laughs> you right. gotta pump it out. The only problem with that, though, is then it doesn't make it, you know, eminently re-listenable, or it, no, it doesn't it make is... it conducive to selling albums either. No, but know, that's still there's... not their primary goal. You know, it's probably they'd probably rather get the, uh, they'd probably rather save the money on the episode than sell. You know, I mean, granted, it's probably a limited amount of of records anyway of the people that are going to want to buy the score to a TV show. There are, it's going to be like. The same number of people, but it's probably not a huge, you know, in the decision-making process at that point. You know, at this point, it was like, get survi- survival, you know, get it in on on budget and get it in on time. Right. And then, then worry about the soundtrack stuff later, you know. I mean, that's I think that's probably a lot of problems, too, with a lot of soundtrack stuff is that stuff gets lost and neglected after it isn't needed anymore, you know, because they've moved on to other TV shows and all those tapes of the soundtrack to a TV show that's not on the air just sit in a room somewhere or and then until they need the room and then they get put in a box and put in a warehouse and then another box is put on top of that box, you know, and, and there you go. I think maybe nowadays where fanboy culture is much more mainstream there might be a little more thought put into secondary market marketing of elements of the show you know of of filming things for dvd extras and and you know arranging it so there'll be a good soundtrack recording of it available for the people who want it available and not, I would like to think they would have learned that lesson by now, but I, I don't see that really borne out a lot of times, even today. It just seems that now that you don't have to go through a whole process of making a, a, re- a vinyl record or even a CD, you could still make high-quality MP3s that you could sell of something. That, yeah. It doesn't become worth yeah, it. True. It doesn't become worth it to make an album because you don't have the upfront of... You don't even really have the upfront of having to like publicize it that much because you know there's like you know a 500,000 people in America who bought, who bought are soundtrack collectors so you know at least 350,000 of them will probably buy a soundtrack to a TV show if it comes out you know and uh 
and 500,000 if it's something really popular or something right. like that. So you you just you just make it and you put it up on iTunes now and you know what does it cost you? So hopefully that's the future of that will be I mean but I mean we have there are actual releases of Star Trek the Next Generation soundtracks, but I notice you know they're they're just bits and pieces that you don't see like a whole episode's worth of music right in a row because like you said it would probably be really boring or just you know wouldn't stand I mean, they've up only, to to my knowledge they've only ever done two which was mm-hmm. um they did the very first episode the encounter at farpoint because that one is scored largely like a movie even though right. it's not terribly thematic or what it still did have a really good score and they did uh, Best of Both Worlds, uh, parts one and two, because, again, that one feels very thematic, you know, or not thematic, but cinematic right? as well. So that one's really good. And then the rest of them, I'm pretty sure, are all, uh, like you say, they're, they're anthologies. So it's, it's snippets. It's bits and pieces. Right. And I could be wrong. I know that, that Yesterday's Enterprise is on one of the other two albums as well. But I think that has more on it than just that one uh, episode, but I, I could be wrong. It, it may be just the one on there, but that's one that, uh, strangely, I even though they they put it, you know, on there, and I'm pretty sure it's all the music in the episode. That that one doesn't it doesn't seem to hold up as well as the other two. It it is largely just uh, just background. Well, as, as, as I was gonna say, most concerned. most people would even the collectors of soundtracks and stuff would not be interested in having the full complete audio soundtrack of every you know there's completists who would i actually i'm the kind of person who would just out of and i do things like make podcasts so i can justify doing that because i could say oh i could really use that for the podcast right but for the most part you know but at, at the same point if i were to download all the music to every single um next generation one i probably wouldn't be able to listen to all of it (laughs) <laughs> all the way through you know I, yeah, or, or you i know, haven't been able to i, I mean, wouldn't there have be been into those, it there have been those two collections here in recent years there was the one that was the the ron jones collection right and those are heavily is, those are just heavily edited too they're just like you know right. two or three cuts short cuts from each episode you know sometimes that one, one's like five one that, minutes long or something but yeah there's another one that just came out that mm-hmm. was uh, a bunch more next gen music that was stuff that was not Ron Jones. I forget what the name of that one is, but I have it. I can't remember. Either. I it's haven't not as many CDs as the, the Ron Jones ones. Like what, four CDs or something like that? No, or more, it's, it's like, like twelve or 12 something. Or fifteen. Okay, or maybe the it's second crazy ass long. Maybe the second one was the one that was four CDs. Yeah, the second one's a lot shorter than the first one. It's a lot less. Yeah. But even so, it's, 15 CDs over seven seasons of shows, you know, it's just basically, 14. yeah, it's basically the, just still a snippet of yep. the actual music that was made for those shows. But as a matter of fact, it's probably more than you'd ever want to listen to anyway. See, so. Yeah, see, that's the thing is I, I was so excited when I got that and it's 14 discs and I'm excited about it because it makes these listen. shows a lot easier on me to, right. to to score. That's for sure. Well, definitely. May I know you you score these, so definitely make sure to you. The one piece I really really like on this 
is how the episode ends because once again it's a musical homage to the end of star trek the motion picture it plays the theme and everything as things are winding up at the end of the episode on the bridge just like it ends in star trek the motion picture and i love that musical tie back it works really really well in that scene it's it's very nice um just a couple other quick things here this sort of thing bugs me every time i see it whether it's this episode or other episodes that do the same thing all right you've got the part where Offenhouse comes up to the bridge and he's just kind of hanging off to one side nobody even notices him and then at some point at some point he finally speaks up and says something and both Riker and Picard turn and I forget which one of them says it but one of them says get that man off the bridge and uh, these two security guards go over they grab him and they start to pull him toward the turbo lift and he's like I'm not going anywhere and then all of a sudden Worf I think it's Worf says something like, Captain, look at the screen or some shit like that. And the Romulans decloak. Well, when that happens, the security guys stop. Yeah. And then everybody's mesmerized, right? So I guess the lesson for this episode is it's totally okay to disregard the captain's orders so long as something really cool is happening on the Exactly. Exactly. Picard yeah, Picard never goes, Did I did I not say Get right. that guy off my fucking bridge right now, or what? Are you, hello, flycatchers? You know, yeah, exactly. Well, there, there's two more scenes that involve this little mm-hmm. gap with the security guys not following orders, and that's when Offenhouse speaks up at the one point and says, "You know, they don't have a clue," and blah blah blah. And then after the whole crisis is finally resolved. Uh, Picard turns and has that, you know, where he's trying to look like a tough guy thing. He turns and he's scowling. And uh, again, he issues the same orders. He goes, uh, you know, take him off the bridge or something like that. And I'm thinking, instead of saying that, why didn't you say something like, I thought I told you. Exactly. (laughs) He used to sound like the scolding parent. You're supposed to grab him by the scruff of the neck and the the ass of the pants and be like, I thought I said get off my bridge. That's what you're supposed to do. He needs to be a little more Kirk-like and just go out, go up there and escort him off the bridge his damn self. With his fist, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, That's pretty much all I've got on the episode proper. Now, uh, one thing I always like seeing in this is uh, is a much younger uh, Mark Alemo. At least I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his name. I've never actually heard it pronounced. He's the guy, he's the Romulan that's sitting to our left as you're watching the, the episode. Okay. Um, he would come back and be really big in Star Trek a couple years after this. He was Gal Dukat in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And as much as I'm not a fan of that show, I like that actor and I like that part that he played. So that was kind of cool to see him here as a Romulan. And he played several several other species on Star Trek too, but that was his big claim to fame was when he was Dukat. So that was kind of neat seeing him in this. Um, This is another one of those episodes that on the surface of it seems like it's hinting a lot about um, how their society works and everything. But when you actually pay attention to the dialogue and start trying to put it together in your head, you realize that, they never really give you much of anything but just vagaries about how their society actually works. 
they're they're never specific you know they're they're very proud of saying things like we've eliminated want and hunger and need and disease and we don't use right. money and everything but they never come out and say this is how our society functions well they didn't say I, they didn't say to uh, you know i was half expect he's like so what where do we go from here and somebody was just say well, we're going to get you someplace where you can get a how you know, where we'll find a place where there's apartments open and we'll give you a list of where you can live and where there's job, you know, there's send them. I mean, people, I, there's got to be like jobs and things to do. Right. But if there's right. no money, what's, you know, I mean, okay. Are people really, the, I mean, they must be advanced if all of a sudden people are just, nobody's lazy. You know, everybody realizes they have to work for society and do it. So, yeah, but that, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's all swept under the table because how the hell do you explain that? You know, it's better just to show like people walking around in the background in jumpsuits like Logan's run and, and say, oh, we don't have money anymore and all, all that and how that works. It's, it's just like, you know, I mean, really, it sounds like, Sounds like socialism, communism to me, yes. you know, yes, it, it does. It, at some point. But at the same point there, it's it, if it is, it's that kind of it's the kind of socialism, the communism that works where everybody is like fine with it. So there's no problem with it. You know, every, everything works. Everybody pulls their way. You know, you don't see you don't hear about people going down with the system. You know, people are just sort of like, I, you know, I'm developing my brain into this or I'm learning this about science or whatever or I'm training right. to be this or I'm writing a book on this so yeah I mean yes they would have to have a, humanity would have to have advanced you know I mean it sounds like when I say it sounds like socialism but I'm putting it in terms 20th century terms of you know political ideologies and stuff but that, that still really is what it comes down to and uh you know, the, the, the part of it that I always think about is, uh, all right, you get yourself assigned to the to the Starship Enterprise, right? And then you get there and you find out that your job, because, uh, you know, supposedly, uh, the way I'm thinking their society would probably work w w would be something like, sure, everything's free, everything's provided, there's no money, there's no want, there's no need. However, everybody contributes. If you don't contribute, you're cut out of the system, basically. And so you, you wind up on the Enterprise and you're the janitor. Well, what happens, you know, three years into the mission, you go, you know, fuck this job. I don't want to be the goddamn janitor. You know, I want to be, you know, I don't want to do anything. I want to sit on my ass and watch Oprah all day long. You know, so then you got the captain coming to you and basically being like, well, look, you're, you're stupid and you're not qualified for anything else. You either be the janitor or... You know what's the what else in that situation? What they put you off the ship? Well, I would they throw you in the brig. Well, they they I'll, cut you out of the meal plan. How the hell does it work? That's I don't know. The, these are the things I want to know. I, I I think of it this way. I think a we're looking at Starfleet, and I'm thinking Starfleet has a sort of elite eliteness to it, where you know, right. in order to, you have to go, you you don't you can't just be like, hey, I want to be in Starfleet. You got to go to the academy and study in a certain percentage. And like when Wesley was trying to get in, you know, it was like most of you don't get in. One person gets in, you know, or, you know, a limited amount of people get in at a time. And if not, well, see you next year when you apply again. So there is like filtering and, and education and stuff like that. I'm, I was just thinking maybe if they've come up with 
if they've come up with a way to harness energy to the point of where if you're not like say burning you know they're 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 somehow found some extremely cheap or free means of energy and it's so they have it in so much control that it can literally make matter build matter then really it's only a matter of controlling the population because you could synthesize your own food just from ambient energy. Oh, sure. I understand and all, all that. Of so that. you don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have all these huge, you know, infrastructures like supermarkets and stuff like that. So it's, it, it's sort of like you could le- lead a life of leisure and just live in your little cubicle and do nothing and loaf all the time and not really be a drain on society so much you'd just be a loaf but so I guess you could you I mean but everybody just seems very motivated and you know the the thing about like say you know I mean these like if you usually a lot of countries that have these strong ideological um you know driving philosophies you can't get your entire populace to go along with it so usually like you know russia had to enforce their rules by you know the the by gun or whatever and and you have like countries like you know the scandinavian countries that are like socialist democracies where they have elements of capitalism and socialism and stuff like that but somehow Star Trek is beyond all that. There's no capitalism right. because there's no money. And so well, again, that, socialism that... also, you know, socialism is also a dividing up of money and resources. And it's sort of it's sort of hinted that, well, there's no, it's painted as just this perfect picture. That's yeah, that's almost too hard to explain. So why bother? Right. But, you know, I've I've never been a just, you know, oh, just go along with it kind of guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the kind of guy that's like, no, no, no. You got to tell me how this works. Well, the thing Otherwise, about Star I, Trek I, is, yeah. is if you're watching Star Trek, there's so many hours that you're spending in that universe that you're mm-hmm. sort of owed. And, and that's watching Star Trek. When Then on top of it, there's all the books and all that. You'd think right. there would be somebody in the – I mean, that would be a fascinating topic to broach is – you know how 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 the world. You know I don't know if you'd even want to call it politics because is it is politics even a, a factor there? If are there presidents? You know, I, I mean you know there's still countries because I mean Picard goes to France at one point to visit right. his family, so they still have separate countries. How does that work? That would be fascinating to see. Yeah. Uh, instead of a technical manual like how society works in star trek i would love to see that i think nobody wants to write that because they probably wanted gene roddenberry to write it and he was just like screw that that's too much work to try to figure out how to right how to make all that make sense you know good luck right i i think i think if he ever did it i think it would look very much like the underpants gnome chart you know you've got steel underpants you've got plan b which is completely vague and then you've got profit you know i mean i think that's pretty much what it's looking like here we've got the 20th century (laughs) 
you know, headed to nuclear war type of thing. Then you've got this giant gap between the 21st and 22nd century where there's just a giant question mark. And then you've got 23rd century, everybody's living in utopia. And you're kind of missing that middle chapter of uh, how did we get here? You know, that's that's really what I'm curious about is, you know, the the intricacies of their society how the hell does it function and you we don't, never you don't get ever anything get a but of like just... a cultural figure you know like a gandhi or a great philosopher or a jesus that everybody you know somebody who like well after... they do that with some of the aliens like like the vulcans have got surak and stuff but i think they were right. scared to death to try to do anything like that with the human thing because the, then uh, the I humans think that... were always like khan and stuff like that you know <laughs> warlords <laughs> launched on the universe but at the same time though you know it's it's it, it seems like with humanity that's usually like there's like a unifying thing and you do hear about all these philosophers from other planets and things. And it's also fun to write about space philosophers, too, rather than just regular Earth philosophers. <laughs> but there's always a whole bunch of them, you know? There isn't somebody whose name keeps coming up, except for the Vulcan. What was it, Serac? Yeah. Except for Serac is the only one that seems to come up in, you know, in, in, in a lot of, like, comics and books and stuff like that. You know, is this sort of what was what's his name, Lao Tse or whatever the or the guy who wrote the who wrote the Art of War or you know any any of those oh, books yeah. of, of of philosophy and stuff, Sun Sun Tzu or that that people follow and stuff. There doesn't you know <laughs> you, you, you don't of, get any. You were thinking of Lao Tse from <laughs> Indiana Jones no. and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> nice try, Lao Tse. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, the philosophy I of know what shit. You mean. Yeah, it was uh, it was Sun Tzu. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, I say it right, and you still mock me into like s- saying the like politically incorrect thing <laughs> of, of getting my Asians mixed up. <laughs> yeah. You cheat, Dr. Jones. You cheat. <laughs> you cheat. Play with you. No fun. No fun. <laughs> uh, All right. Getting back to this episode. Um, I guess it speaks volumes that I don't remember a thing about what the hell the plot was about. But that uh, Offenhaus guy came back in one of the novels that I read not long ago. It was uh, this novel called Debtor's Planet. I don't remember it being very good. But I, I remember his role in it was he basically gets to Earth and despite everything that Picard says, he, he finds himself just like back in business. Going, what what the well no, it's like what the hell's my purpose in life now? You know? Oh. And see so he actually becomes a uh Federation diplomat. Which I thought that's, that's kind of an interesting idea because you know, given what we see of him in this episode, he kind of has a has a feel for people. Well, you he's, know, he, it, it, it's it's board. It's that's what he was probably doing as a businessman was right. going in and trying to get a sense of what the other people's motivations are and if they're hiding anything or if they're bluffing. And mm-hmm. yeah, that would be that's. I mean, that's just what what I saw. I'm like. You know this kind. This guy kind of belongs on a bridge, maybe. You know, and right. maybe not right this second, but in some capacity at some point, he might be like. You know, he might. It might be good to have a kind of a savage human on your side to, 
uh, wrangle with the Romulans, who are who are like Vulcans with a with a shade of emotion and Klingon to them. You know, a little bit of savagery to it, a little bit of uh, not really savagery in the case of the Romulans, but they've got you know passion and and uh, just evil pissery about them. So you know, which is more like old school humans. So that that you know, uh, old school human might be a little more keyed into their exactly. Their way of thinking. Yeah. So yeah. he might be a good guy to have to deal with Romulans and other such arrogant warlike races. I did a little bit of research today. I was looking to see both if these characters had gone on to be in, in much of anything else. And the, the Claire character, the, the mom that was missing her kids, she's uh, been in, there's some Star Trek series out, uh, you know, not a series of novels that are out now, something to do with, uh, with time travel or something like that. And she's in at least one of those. And then this often house guy, he was in this book I was talking about, which I, I honestly don't remember anything of the book other than that he was in it. And I kind of liked the parts with him in it. But then uh, there was some some recent ones that he was in it, again, as some sort of like Federation advisor or something. So I want to read those at some point. And poor Sonny, he's not been in anything after this. So he just kind of disappears from Star Trek after this episode. He goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and you never see there him again. There you go. <laughs> and then I was looking at the actors to see what else they had been in. And there wasn't really anything that that particularly jumped out at me other than... Uh, the guy that plays Offenhouse, and I didn't even, I didn't catch, I didn't bother to write his name down. I don't remember what it was, but uh, there was a. Do you remember the the Spider Man animated series that was on TV back in the nineties? Did you ever watch oh, any of that? I remember it, but I don't think I have ever watched any of it. It was actually it was pretty decent. The animation style was a little. It was a little rough, you know, it wasn't as good as like the DC stuff that was done, you know, like mm-hmm. the Batman animated series, but the stories were generally pretty good and the voice acting was pretty good. He was in uh, an episode of that. There was one where uh, where Peter Parker um, aged, where he became an old man. I can't remember what, what the story was with that. Anyway, this guy voiced Peter Parker as like old man Peter Parker oh. so I thought that was kind of cool it's a nice little geek tie I thought you were going to say he was J. Jonah he would have made a good J. Jonah Jameson too he would have yeah you're right he would he would have made a really good J. Jonah Jameson he just Jameson. reminded me of the poor poor man's um, um, Martin Landau yeah he d- yeah once you said that it was funny because yeah he does very much look like Martin Landau Um, I think that's the end of my notes the only other thing I had was that uh uh, according to something I was looking at today, this is the first time in the history of Star Trek that we are given a specific date of what year it is. Yes. And I got to thinking and, about that, and I was like, really? Is this? The, I guess it would be. Well, but because, yeah, data because, actually gives a... And it doesn't seem like something that comes up, because the way data says it, it's just sort of like, in your time, you know, it's like, we don't really keep track here. Right, but for you, but let, let, let me see. Let, we'll just figure it out for you. You know, oh yeah, it's twenty three, <laughs> something like that. We don't really care. You know, we don't watch birthdays or anything either. So, <laughs> oh, I had one one question for. What did you think of the uh, new Romulan ships? In in this, oh, the big warbird. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I didn't like I it at pretty... first look at it, and then when I saw how huge it was compared to the Enterprise, and just how it was sort of set up is a steroided up old you know mm-hmm. Romulan ship I was just like that's pretty neat that looks pretty 
And then I tried to think of it in the context of the year it came out, and I was like, that's pretty neat, actually. Right. It's funny because I, most every ship in Next Gen had to grow on me over time. I don't think there was any of them that I came right out of the chute going, ooh, I like that. I think all of them uh -huh. had this kind of like, ooh, I don't know about that. And then, you know, after 20 years of watching it, it's just kind of grown on mm -hmm. me. And that was definitely the case with the with the Romulan ship. When I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, come on, you know, where's the where's the big bird painted on it and all that?" There but, was a bird uh, over painted time, on I, it, though. Yeah, it was just very dark and yeah, you sort of saw it from the side instead of if you would have seen. I I I wish they would what they would have done was show it decloaked from above, so you saw the yeah. ra the classic because if you looked at it from above, it looked like it would be the classic Romulan wing shaped with the bird on it, and mm -hmm. then do a quick or a slow you know tilt down of the Enterprise, and and you see that it's this massive thick version of it. That would have been really neat, but it would also yeah. have been probably the more expensive way to do it too. So, yeah, top down shot would have been really cool. Would have been really I would have liked to have seen that. Who yeah. knows what'll happen when they do the refixed up Blu-ray versions of TNG that they're saying they're they're gonna come out. Man, I am so ready for that because watching this today, as much as I love this episode, this there was a lot, a lot of this episode that was looking mighty rough to uh -huh. me, I thought. You know, where where it's really looking well, it's like the, aged, yeah. you know, it was shot. On, I mean, it's shot on video transferred to film. So it has that look to it, too. Yeah. I mean, I watched both our, our TOS episode for this month and then this one back to back. Mm -hmm. And when the TOS episode looks better than the than the next well, gen episode and there's 20 years in between them, there's something wrong. Yeah. There, but, you the, know? but the TOS one, if you remember, has been also fixed up. <laughs> that's what I mean. Lot, yeah. But the, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so they could, yeah, they could, they could really, uh, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the, the next generation ones could look even nicer than the original, original ones in some ways. At least I think the special, the space and stuff like that. But they could do it like this one and do those from scratch, you know, do all the space stuff from scratch. Although there's a lot more space battles in next generation. There's a lot more shows in Next Generation, too, to fix up. So we'll see. So I think we're about ready to to do our little wrap-up of Season 1. Absolutely. I, I think we should. Just, we can just make this a, a quick and dirty little uh, look back here. I thought we should we should just have fun with this segment and, uh, and <laughs> basically do, like, lightning round wrap-up with just... Uh, you know, simple questions to each other like, uh, all right, lightning round here. Uh, fa say favorite episode. Can you think of a single favorite episode? Mm, it's probably either conspiracy. It's funny because my favorite episodes are, are, are either the pilot one or all huddled towards the end with Skin of Evil and uh, Conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Those I, I really like both of those because they're just crazy uh crazy action you know i mean skin skin of evil i remember made a big impression on me the first time around and you know and then there's ones but for the a single one i'd probably have to say encounter at farpoint yep 
because I think it's the most cinematic in it and it, it, it succeeded and that was what made me happiest of everything in this first season is when I saw season one episode one I was very skeptical I was very 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 skeptical that I was going to like Star Trek the next generation I was just like nah you know too much time has passed and now we're gonna get some weird watered down cheesy thing and then I saw that and I said you know what this is Star Trek and I was on board from that point on so you know what can I say I would uh, if I had to narrow it down to one I would probably do the same I would probably say the same thing uh, encounter at Farpoint because it, it's very cinematic it's it's uh, uh, to me it's uh, the the parallels to Star Trek the motion picture really you know make it uh, mm-hmm. you know really appeal to me um, however it, it, it would be tough to narrow it down to just one because uh, you know you pick that one, you pick Skin of Evil, and then Conspiracy. I would say that, you know, Encounter at Farpoint, Skin of Evil, and this one that we just did, um, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Neutral Zone, if I had to narrow it down to three, because I really, really do love this episode. As a matter of fact, Neutral Zone might even make it into my top five of all seven seasons. I mean, I really, really dig this episode. But, uh, yeah, if I, if, I ha- if I was hard-pressed for just one, I, w- I would say Encounter at Farpoint, just because it is truly a movie. Yeah. You know, and it was an event. I mean, when that came out, it was an event, you know, on par with when, like, say, Star Wars was on television or something like that. It was a big freaking deal when that was on TV. So, yeah. But then there's other good, you know, Heart of Glory is a great one mm-hmm. with, the, with the Klingon, where you get to see some Klingon ass kicking what was the other one that i uh oh data lore is another one that i always remember you know from this season you know from the first mm-hmm. time i saw it i and as i also liked it as a as having points of old school kick-ass star trek in it all right all right flip flip flop and uh well you you ask a question i was just gonna say <laughs> well i was just gonna say on the other hand what about what about the one that you think really sucks <laughs> oh man um i mean there are there's some serious that's that's the thing is that there's so many more that suck in this first episode compared to ones that that are truly great episodes um i'm trying to think of the ones that we just had a tough time with because they were so freaking awful um see i'm a lot kinder that i have a hard time picking them because there's ones that i don't like as much but there's hardly any that i was just like this is just awful see it's funny because the one that a lot of people are going to jump immediately to and it's considered by a lot of people to be like the worst episode of the series is code of honor but I actually kind of like that one, and I like it not because it's a good episode. I like it because it's a piece of shit. But it's it's a fun piece of shit, and it's so fucking racist that I laugh my ass off when I watch it. I mean, it's it's you know it, it's so embarrassing that I can't. It's hard it's to hard believe to process, that they could actually yes. yeah that they could actually make this and not go gee guys I don't know you know about this yeah. yeah. This yeah, this is not going to hold up well historically. Yeah. You know, this is going to piss somebody At off. At least they didn't know? name people like Magumba Lumba Lumba Gumba or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. But it's close, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
got it. See, I'm trying to go off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm having to actually flip through the the book here just for episode names. But uh, a couple just that came to me right away. Haven sucked ass. I've never liked. That's the one where Troy is going to get married. married. Yeah, and mostly because I do not buy the fact that the guy she's going to marry isn't into dudes. Uh, I'm sorry to be that crude, but it just I don't buy it. He everything about him just screams to me that uh, he uh, plays for the home team. You know what I'm the, saying? The, the one where the Ferengi first show up. Yes. That one's a bit that one's a bit like, come on. No, it, no, no. You're talking about, are you talking about Last Outpost? Because that's a good one. I like that It's one. okay, but it's just kind of like, it's kind of, well, you know, that's where you sort of re- realize the Ferengi aren't going to be any kind of menace <laughs> right. at any yeah, point. Well, yeah. this is true. And, this is and true. you know, and we've talked about the potential racist uh, <laughs> implications of that episode, too. Although that's not what makes me not like it. It was just like, it was just sort of, it was, uh, yeah, when they start, like, yeah, jumping up and down, it's a little, little bit, little bit cheesy. The one with the with the admiral that was de-aging himself. I don't think we either one of us found many redeeming qualities for that episode, did we? No, but at the same that point, I mean, it's just kind of like yeah. To me, it's it was just kind of like eh, you know. <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't heart you know make make me my stomach churn you know what i mean it's it was i remember you know the bad the bad the, the quote-unquote bad episodes of this i just sort of watched and processed and and at least always found something on us on some sort of basic sci-fi level to make it interesting enough to where i'm not watching it just going come on come on already you know is this show is this show almost over i've never had one that's been like a chore to watch for me really yeah, that's actually probably a good way to to answer this question is flipping through a quick list of all the episodes here. If if I had to pick out of all the episodes I'm looking at here, the one that if somebody said you have to rewatch this one right now would be the most like, oh, Jesus, really would be hide and cue. That one sucks. So yeah, I think I'm gonna go with that uh, one. I would sit. Yeah, that's the one with those pig to... warrior things. In yeah, it, right? yeah, yeah. I Although think I, I like Q. Through... I, it's it's I the Trillane but... yeah, aspect of it. But yeah, that it was a really back fast. They, it was too soon to bring Q back. Right, right. Because in my own personal Q continuity, Q doesn't come back until Q who. So. I think if you just could kind of like make that episode unhappen. I'll make that episode disappear too. (laughs) Um, All right, my turn. Let's see. Uh, All right. Rather than doing best and worst, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do a worst again. Um, Worst character. Who do you just freaking hate? I think, I think, um, I don't hate any of them. That's the thing. But I think Troy is is definitely the weakest character of mm-hmm. of all of the main major characters that they came up with. It's the one. It, it, it's like we said. It wasn't till this last episode of the first season that they really knew. They really gave her something useful to do. Um. Yeah, she's she's got. There are many levels to her character, but still. That doesn't improve it, <laughs> really. And, right. 
it's not it's not the actress's fault it's it's the it's the writer's fault i think they they did they didn't know how to deal with her and they made her into some a lot of times into this sort of mushy new age um greek choir on the side who would state the you know be on there and state the obvious and might had a really good function if you were a little kid of shading in how you were supposed to feel about things or what was going on but as an adult, she would just basically just tell you what you just saw as as her contribution to what was going on. And that gets really annoying after a while, especially when you're in the the big leagues like Starfleet. You know, I could do her job. I could go, he's hiding something from you, Captain. What's he hiding? <laughs> Damned if I know. <laughs> he's, he's being deceitful. Yes, he's nervous. What Captain. is he specifically doing to be deceitful? He's not telling you the he's, truth. He's not telling. What you is the he truth. not telling me the truth about? Something about whatever what you're he's talking hiding. About. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could do that for hours. for hours, and she gets paid for that. Exactly. Well, I don't think she gets paid, but she at least gets room and board on the Enterprise, which ain't bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean. I, I, I don't have the hatred of Wesley Crusher that you do, but he's he's definitely number two. He's number two on my, like, weakest developed characters on on the show. But Now let me ask you, are you, are you approaching this purely from the angle of what we've gotten so far? Yes, I'm going by, okay. by yes, season one. I'm pretending none of the other... Yes, I'm, right. I'm. I'm looking at this as if I was starting because I sort of am. Because from here on, from season, I've seen a good chunk of season two. From season three on, I'm going to be a total newbie. But awesome. um, except for you know the occasional episode here and there. But um, yeah, I'm trying to look at this as as how. You know, I mean, a lot of people really didn't want is the worst season of of Star Trek: The Next Generation. And I'm trying not to put it into any context with the other ones because we haven't gotten to them yet. See, that's going to be very interesting to find out if that if that uh, whole you know if that is revealed to be the truth or not. Is this really the worst one? That's going to be very interesting if we live long enough to make it through all seven <laughs> seasons at the rate we're going now. Twenty seven years know, down the, it'll be ver- the line, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the thing is. Of course it should be the worst season. You know, it's the first season. They're, 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 and, and they have a much larger ensemble cast to develop. And, um, you know, and but you could definitely see during this season the writers and the actors and the directors starting to pull it together, starting to say, all right, let's try know, this. Though, I don't know that I agree with that because when you're talking modern TV and modern TV sensibilities... I think we've all come to accept the way TV is done today when you say, you know, well, of course the first season's the weakest because modern day, a lot of times that that really is the truth. A show that has any length or legs at all, like say something like, I don't know, like Smallville or something, typically the first season will be really rough, but then, you know, hopefully the show gets better. But that really back in the day, like with the original Star Trek, definitely was not the case. Usually the first season was the best season. This is different, though. They took a different approach. They became their own thing. They became a syndicated deal. They they were still dealing with their their, um, limitations of budget and stuff. But 
Roddenberry was given a lot more control, it seemed, or offered a lot more control to it, and it it was sort of, you know, and it, that's, at that time, Star Trek had also earned a lot more legitimacy in the public eye and also in the hard, cold economic eye of looking at, at, at making this show and funding it. And, right, you know, it, it's it was definitely something they were planning to hopefully try to get to be a long-term project because, of course, everybody wants their project to be a long-term project. But it's Star Trek... So it gives you that extra, you know, desire to make it good. You know what I think? I I think the people, especially as a second generation of it, you had a whole generation of people coming in to work on this Star Trek who were fans of the original Star Trek. So they so they weren't, you know, they weren't your your crew in Star Trek. The next generation was um, what's his name? Who's making the tribute show? You know, the Star Trek phase two stuff. You know, he used to be a, mm-hmm. he used to you know be an intern on on the next generation, and so you had these people like you know in the original Star Trek, the guy behind the camera is just chewing gum and like whatever you know I'm filming some show for, for for the TV you know, and uh, but uh, when this one started up, you're working for the new Star Trek you know everybody you know, I I saw the uh, the video the whole crew cast when they had them all together sitting at the table toasting each other. And they knew to say live long and prosper, you know, they all said live long and prosper. And they all knew, you know, they all it was all part of their vocabulary coming into it for the most part, except for, I think, um, Beverly. But, you know, so you sort of expect them to be. But they're trying a different approach than the original show. And and you can see them. You can see them trying things and going, ah, that doesn't work. And and a lot of times it'll get discarded and you'll never see that happen again. And, and this, and, and right. they'll, you know, I mean, a, a lot of the first season is to say, let's see who we get the most letters about, you know, Oh, data seems to be a very popular, Oh, everybody likes Q, you know, or whatever. And I think they anticipated people liking, they, they wrote characters like data and Q to, to be appealing to the same, in the same way that say Spock was, you know, Right, and uh, well, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, there's there's an awkwardness to it because they're trying to. It's like uh, people going to their first semester of college and living in the dorms, and you know, meeting all the, and you know, and and then you meet your friends, and then you start hanging around with your friends, and then you get to know your friends and have you know adventures with them and stuff, and and it's just like that that in this that but and it was probably the same with the writers. The writers were you know forming friendships and bonds and finding teams of writers that worked well together and stuff and 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 finding a, a flow to the way the stories would go and they would edit it and stuff and and you could see that sort of happening in the the first season but the first season happens in a vacuum without feedback because they film it and then they play it you know so it's not being right. filmed with people going oh I like this oh I don't like this they they do it and, and they'll, you know, they'll have, you'll have the pilot that'll get like, say, tested and stuff, but a whole season doesn't. So, you know, it sort of happens in a vacuum where it's the cast and crew figuring out everything. And then after that first season, then they start getting letters and you start finding out what the fans like. And then you can go into the second season adapting everything and saying, well, 
people didn't like this, let's get rid of this, or let's put this person into the background and bring this person a little further. Let's tweak this about this to make them a little more interesting or whatever. And uh, no matter what you say about this first season, it sets up the foundation very well. You know, um, mm-hmm. I agree. Is if as much as people tear down this season, it sets it sets it up. It puts you in the new Star Trek world, and by the end of the season, you're there. You know what's going on. You even feel at home there, and that's quite a feat, especially with something as potent as Star Trek that means so much to so many people. To, to to be successful in pulling it off again, to have lightning strike twice is pretty right. something to be proud of. So, you know, people can detract <laughs> from this season, but eh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching this and I'm even glad I'm even more glad that it's you know there's it's going to be more refined as we go along. It's going to be more enjoyable and you know, I've heard a lot about the last couple seasons, so I'm dying to to see those, of course, 20 years down the line. I might cheat and skip ahead at some point. <laughs> so, let me see. Your answer was, um, <laughs> was Troy, was Troy right? With Jordy? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's right. That was a question, wasn't it? All right, Scott, what's your, what, right. wh- which character do you hate the most? Uh, it's not. It's not a matter of who which one I do you want to kill the most. Really. It, it would. It's really. It would come down to a matter of of what character like either needs to be written off the show or they better do something important with him or her really damn fast. And the problem with me trying to answer this question is I know exactly where these characters right, are right. headed. You know what I mean? So it's really almost impossible for me to kind of mm-hmm. rein it back to first season sensibilities but let me see if i can answer it this way it it basically there's four characters that i had a real problem with and that's beverly crusher she's about to be addressed because you know spoiler alert she's not in the second season so she's about to get worked on right there wesley (laughs) crusher who does you know slowly he gets Mm -hmm. better He's not as bad. He's not near as obnoxious as he is in this first season in later seasons. And he does eventually mature and become sort of an interesting character. Um, If I had to, you know, really trying very hard to put myself back into first season mode as if this was my first time getting to the end of this season, I'd probably say Jordy just because it seems like dude needs something to do, you know? Uh, he's a likable enough guy, but he just needs something to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to have a discernible role on the ship, whereas everybody else, you can point to them and go, I know what your job is. With Jordy, I don't know what his job is. What the hell is his function? He's blind guy, you know? They're about to address that in the second yep. season. And, so and it really it does just help leaves his character. It, it gives it, 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 it helps do- a lot. A lot, yeah. Because yeah. that's yeah. the thing is, his character is really... isn't annoying or it isn't a bad character. It, you're right. He has... There's just nothing to do with him. So, yeah, you have a likable character who ends up being like Data's buddy. You know, he's Data's smart friend, human friend who's Mm -hmm. who's really smart so he can be friends with Data. (laughs) His fleshy pal who's fun to be with. (laughs) Your fleshy pal who's fun to be with. 
<laughs> so that really just leaves Troy. And I don't know if I would have picked Troy first time around only because this season ends on such a high note for me and with her. She was actually very useful and likable in the episode that we just watched that finished the season. So I probably wouldn't have said her back at that time. But knowing where things go and how things progress, <laughs> yeah. and particularly the episode that the second season's going to end with, I gotta say Troy. Because sadly, she never really goes anywhere. And it's not until way, way, way late in the game that they made her a character that I could really even tolerate. And it's really, it, it all stemmed from when uh, uh, Jellico made her finally put a friggin' Starfleet uniform on. That's when I suddenly thought, okay, I, I can kind of get used to this character now. That's so late in the game as the series almost is right, over right. with. So yeah, she's the one that I think is really needs some help. And sadly... I don't know. We'll see as the series unfolds. I think she never really got there, but but we'll see. We'll rediscover together and see whether we think she got there or not. Um, favorite character? That's a tough one. I mean, I really I think Data is a great, fun character in the show. I think he's the most fat, interesting character because just of what he is, and he has the most to learn and he gives you a uh, an outsider weird, you know, point of view of things because he doesn't understand things and and all that. But I like Riker. I think mm -hmm. Riker is the most he's the one I identify with more, you know. Picard is an interesting character. Yeah. He's kind of a jerk, but he's a good character cuz he's got a lot of he's got a lot of interesting traits and flaws but Riker right. just has that smart alert interested open minded you know easygoing nature that makes him seem like if you're going to hang out if I was going to hang out with anybody from the Star Trek crew in a non uh, you know if, if, if it was which one I was going to hang out with in a horizontal style then we're talking about a, pulling <laughs> pulling out of a whole different pool there there's there's a different pool to choose from out of the show but if I was uh, you know going to be sitting in 10 forward having a drink it would probably be with like Jordy Data and and number one would probably be the, the right. you know the, the most interesting and friendly and fun to be around crew of of people you know so yeah all, all the other characters are I, I mean they're good characters but yeah I like I like Riker the best I think he's he's the most he's he's the one that I I think that you're supposed to identify with as a male nerd <laughs> and right. he's the most Kirk like what about you yep definitely Riker and, and because I think he began life as Decker, but ended the season as as Kirk. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I like That's that good, because yeah. I like both those characters a lot. You know, I, I like both Decker and Kirk. So either way. But, you know, Jonathan Frakes, he's a good actor. And uh, and I just I like his his style. I like the way he relates to people. He takes a little of the um, piss out of uh, Picard. Yeah. And I, I like that. And I think at. at Basically, and, and I'm not a Picard. I mean, once we get out of the first season, I hope that 
I hope I'm able to lighten up on Picard and show that I really do like the character. I really do enjoy Picard. But at the same rate, if at any point in all seven seasons, you know, Picard had caught a phaser blast, I would have been cool, totally cool with Riker stepping up and being the new captain yeah, of the show. Can you imagine that? You know, to- yeah, I, I really could have because I think uh, Riker was just a, uh, he's a hell of a good character. So, yeah. He, he would definitely be my favorite uh, so far. Although, again, you know, I, I have to uh, also, you know, give a shout out to Tasha. I like Tasha a lot. I think she had real potential and it, it was a shame that we never really saw. It. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's only because she never really went anywhere. I mean, if she had stuck around and never died, she could have been the, the lamest character on the show. We have no right, way of knowing, right. you know, one way or the other. But it always seemed like there was some inherent potential there that just never you know never came to be and i still say i would much rather see her and Riker have wound up together as uh you know him and uh, and troy but um i don't know what else you got um that's about it on my um um you know i can't really think of, i mean is there is there any element that you can think of that they sort of left out of this show that that's missing. See, I was trying to think of that as like, what could they do to improve the show and what maybe got left behind that we wish that they had, had kept around or something like that. I'm having a hard time thinking Um, of something. I am too. And it's funny because I remember that this was a topic of discussion for us with the very first episode, because again, you know, much like Star Trek, the motion picture, there was a whole lot of stuff that was brought to the table as far as new advancements of the ship and stuff that after you get past that pilot, it's like they totally forgot about. They're out of the budget. Yeah, Yeah. And and off the top of my head, the only thing I can think of is where, you know, they would stop in a hallway and say, you know, hey, you know, point me to the direction of, you know, the cafeteria or whatever. And like the little lighted panels would, you know, lead the direct. I mean, that's a simple little thing, but there there were elements like that where the ship was a lot more advanced in the pilot than we saw later on. You know, in the mm-hmm. overall course of the series, because you know all that stuff costs money. money. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was one element, I think. Um. As far as just general, you know, what could they do better? You know, what are they not doing that they could bring to the table? Um. I mean, again, this always it comes down to money, and it's a complaint that persists through all seven seasons of the show. But I just wish they blow more shit mm-hmm. up, you know. It needs a little more, a little more action, a, a lot, and yeah, a lot less talk and a lot more. You know, let's just go kick well, some well, ass. They've shown you know? in this season that they're able to do action episodes, and they're able to do episodes that have some brains to them and have shoot 'em ups in them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. I, all I can think of is tightening it up. That's all I can think of it. And, and yep. you know, that's just going to come out of a first season, you know, a lot of little ragged ends and things that didn't work. But, you know, t- tighten up your stories, tighten up your characters, and it's 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 established, you know. They, they, the, they, they got through the gate safely. They got through a season of Star Trek, and by the end of it, even the characters that you don't like are sort of it's sort of like the the prequel trilogy you know it's right it, it, 
say what you want about it. Say about rough, rough turbulence here and there, and there's more been said about the trilogy than than the the next gener first this first season of the next generation. But there's a lot of the same similar complaints. But when it all comes down to it, they they were both very successful in establishing a oh, new. Absolutely aspect to the mythology of a of a very well established and loved and scrutinized franchise and that's no mean feat even when you have some of the original people involved to to make sure you know when mm-hmm. you have your fontanas and your and your roddenberry's you know still involved that's something to you know there's there's high expectations so you're always gonna have people who are pissed off but in the in the end in the <laughs> end it's it became uh, pri- was it the longest running of the Star Trek series was did any of the other ones run more than seven seasons not more than seven um, the next ran two seven which would be uh, DS nine and Voyager ran seven and then uh, um, Enterprise so, ran so, four yeah, but so it kind of it set basically the bar launched where, yeah it yeah. basically launched yeah you know almost thirty seasons of of uh star trek after it uh, 10 times yep. as many as the original so absolutely hey, success and it and it and yep. it sort of spelled out the visual language of of because all those star trek shows continued with the sort of look and feel of next generation you know the way they filmed oh, them and everything and yeah. and developed the stories and stuff so yeah a rousing success. Say what you will about it. Say what you will about Riker's lack of beard. But I, <laughs> I, I'm not like, well, I'm glad we got through this first season. You know, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. It was not rough going at all. So, no, I didn't if, think so either. I, I enjoyed it very much. I mean, I'm very happy that we're we're past it now and that we're going into some really great stuff. But at the same rate, I've never, I don't think I've ever really been a hater been like, of the first yeah, like, season. Come on, let's, you know, the, through this, the, I, it's a good thing because it's been what, like almost two years that we've been, uh, I know, <laughs> at this. I know, isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah, no, it's more, what, it's what, like 13, 13 months, but there's probably a couple extra months in there when we had special things going on. Yeah. But yeah, so over a year of, of this and and yeah never 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 a really really horrible dull moment but well i think you know we i think we both in a in a bizarre sense i think we both kind of relish the the bad I episodes do. anyway because they're, the, they're that much fun. more fun to but be able to there hasn't been any that we've of. really i mean there's some with with where we'll have an element like the planet of the uh, 80s porn stars that, you know, there were a lot of yeah. little elements of that that were just easy to rip on. You know, they're just great things about it. But overall, See, that, that it show okay. gets a pass because I actually enjoy, again, watching that one because it is so bad. But that one, by all rights, is one that should be on a list of like all time worst next gen episodes because it really is a piece <laughs> of shit. I enjoy the hell out of but it. But it's so much I loved fun it when it first came it. out, it too. Really yeah. Is. Come, let's run everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, 
I mean, you talk about an episode that I walk away from just steaming pissed every time I watch it. That's an episode right there because I still can't believe that Picard wasn't just like, oh, you want to kill him? All right, go ahead. All right, then no problem. We'll tell his mother he fell down the the never-ending hole. and (laughs) We tried to warn him that he was running towards the never-ending hole, but uh, he fell down it. Too bad. Oh, well. Time to go. <laughs> it's okay. You won't be back next season, so you know we won't have to put up with your misery. <laughs> well, it would have given her a really good reason to go off and sulk or whatever she was yeah. going to do there in the beginning of the next yeah. season. Um, so next time around, um, let's see. We're we're doing two episodes yes. at a time now. With right, okay. So next time around, ooh, we've got a couple of really good ones here. This is uh, provided that these are in the same order as my as my DVDs. I'm pretty sure they are. I think from here on out, they pretty much run mm-hmm. in proper production order. But uh, we've got an episode called The Child, which, uh, believe it or not, that actually began life as a uh, Star Trek Phase oh. 2 episode that got produced, and then they uh, incorporated it into Next Gen. And we've got one that uh, I like a whole lot because it's got one of the creepiest death scenes I've ever seen in anything. And uh, that's one called Where Silence Has Lease. Mm, so we I should have a lot of that fun one. with I'm both. looking forward to that. That sounds uh, pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to like it. So, yeah, The Child and Where Silence Has Lease next time on uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday. So we'll join us. We'll see you in Season 2. Yeah. I think that was a solid episode. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com. 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.